We're going to go ahead and get into the Word of God. We're looking at, as I shared with you, uh, Psalm 119, beginning in verse 65. We're going to be looking at the next two stanzas in this psalm, so the next 16 verses. I'm going to go ahead and read verse 65 through verse 80, and uh, standing in honor, of course, of God's Word. Verse 65, you have dealt well with your servant, O Lord, according to your word. Teach me good judgment and knowledge, for I believe your commandments. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. You are good and do good. Teach me your statutes. The proud have forged a lie against me, but I will keep your precepts with my whole heart. Their heart is as fat as grease, but I delight in your law. It is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I may learn your statutes. The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of coins of gold and silver. The next stanza. Your hands have made me and fashioned me. Give me understanding that I may learn your commandments. Those who fear you will be glad when they see me because I have hoped in your word. I know, O oh Lord, that your judgments are right and that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. Let, I pray, your merciful kindness be for my comfort, according to your word to your servant. Let your tender mercies come to me, that I may live, for your law is my delight. Let the proud be ashamed, for they treated me wrongfully with falsehood, but I will meditate on your precepts. Let those who fear you turn to me, those who know your testimonies. Let my heart be blameless regarding your statutes that I may not be ashamed. And Father, I pray that you would speak to our hearts tonight through your word. Lord, that you would have your way in our hearts. Lord, that you would just pour your spirit out upon us, that he would give us understanding of these truths. And God, have your way with us, we pray. Might your spirit give us wisdom and discernment on how to apply these truths, Lord, to our lives. And Lord, thank you for your presence with us. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys may be seated. As we look at these next two stanzas, you probably see in your Bible the... Uh, the Greek letter uh, that is preceding each of the stanzas. Uh, the first one here, beginning in verse 65, is, is the ninth letter of the Hebrew uh, alphabet, tet. Uh, it would be spelled T-E-T-H in English, but pronounced tet. And then uh, the next, uh, Y-O-D, beginning uh, just before verse 73, uh, which is pronounced yud, rhymes with could, yud. The uh, uh, ninth and tenth letters of 
the Hebrew alphabet. And, you know, if, if, if we were to know Hebrew and reading Hebrew, we would see that each one of these stanzas begins with that particular letter. Um, just want to remind you that as we were beginning this particular psalm, uh, we, we don't really know who wrote it. You know, as we, we talked about that a bit, you know, some, uh, for, for many, many, many years, uh, many people have believed that it, that it was King David who wrote it. I, I think there is a, a good uh, um, reasoning behind that. Uh, others thought that it may have been written uh, later in the time of, of Ezra and Nehemiah. Uh, that's very much a possibility as well. Uh, for myself, I, just, I, I lean toward King David having written this, but we can't really know for certain. But as he or whomever it was that, that wrote this, it continues on. And, and remembering also that as we talked about the, the 22 different stanzas and the 22 Hebrew letters and so forth, uh, each one of these um, stanzas kind of written independently and separate from the rest uh, and many of them relate to one another, but there's not, a there's not necessarily a flow that we see through the entire psalm. So, uh, you know, we, we, we understand that these were written at different times under different circumstances, uh, but often, as with many of the psalms, we see a lot of similarities. You know, and, and, and here in this particular, well, in these two particular stanzas, we see the idea of affliction uh, in several places. And obviously, affliction is something that we deal with in this life. Uh, affliction of various sorts, of various sorts. Um, and we, we see that the writer, we'll say King David, we see, see that he recognized that afflictions are, are brought to us for a reason. And through this, we see him speaking or writing of afflictions as being something that are helpful. Helpful in the sense of understanding the Word of God, receiving the Word of God. Helpful in the sense of obeying the Word of God. And so what we're going to be dealing with those things as we move through, but you know, it's, that's just not natural for us to think that, is it? We don't like affliction. How many, how many here enjoy being afflicted? That's what I thought. Nobody's raising your hand. We don't. But all of us who go through affliction, and, well, it's not as if there are some who don't. We all do. We, we find at the end of it, if, if, and this is a big if, if we are trusting in God through it, as David writes, having hope in God, and others came, when they saw him enter into their presence, they were glad because he had hoped in the word of God. You know, though, as we hope in the word of God, trusting in the word of God, and so forth, he accomplishes something in us in his work in bringing us to a place of, 
a greater likeness to our Lord Jesus that would not take place apart from the affliction that we endured. That's the way God uses affliction in our lives. And he, de- and he begins in this stanza that in which he thanks the Lord for affliction. He says, you have dealt well, verse 65, you have dealt well with your servant, O Lord, according to your word. He acknowledges that God had treated him well. God had, had blessed him, that God had been good to him. And that's an important thing for us to see, isn't it? That even in all the affliction we may endure, still, God is good, isn't he? You know, sometimes we say, you know, when, when something good happens, we'll say, God is good. If something comfortable, something that we want happens, God is so good. Well, yeah, he is good. But what about when things happen that we don't like, that we don't want? Is he no longer good? Of course he's still good. And a part of this uh, uh, stanza here speaks about the reality of God's goodness and the way that he, of course, uses the afflictions. We've already been touching on that. But he acknowledges that God has dealt well with his servant. And for all of us, especially if we've walked with the Lord for any period of time at all, you know, we, we have to acknowledge God's goodness. In fact, you don't have to have walked with, with, the, with the Lord a long time at all to acknowledge God's goodness. I mean, you're here tonight wanting to come for God's word, to hear God's word because you want to grow in the Lord because you have new life. God has given you new life. You have been born from above. In his grace and in his mercy, you now belong to him. That's pretty good, isn't it? And really, if nothing pleasant ever happened to us again after that, we would have to say that would override all of the negative, painful, hard experiences that we might have. The fact that we belong to him because that is an eternal blessing. Everything hard that we experience in this world, in fact, everything that takes place in the context of, of, of this world and, and, and on this earth and, and being in these bodies and, 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 and dealing with life here in the world, it, it, it's all temporary. It's all temporary. But he acknowledges that God had, had dealt well with him. Even according to your word, he says, You've dealt well with your servant, O Lord, according to your word. Just as you have said. You've been good to me. You are faithful. You keep your word. You keep your promises. He always does. He always does. And regardless of of the difficulties that we might face, we do experience those promises. In Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 29, this is a verse that I share with you once in a while. It always has been a blessing to me. The Lord is speaking to Moses. They're having a conversation about the people of Israel. Of course, this is the book of Deuteronomy, the second giving of the law. That's what Deuteronomy basically means. 
toward the end of um, Moses' life, toward the end of his ministry and his uh, uh, leadership over the people of Israel. But God says to him this in, in regard to the people of Israel, Oh, that they had such a heart in them that they would fear me and always keep all my commandments that it might be well with them and with their children forever. And I love the way that this verse, as, as God speaks here to Moses, it is revealed that his motive in giving us direction and giving us commandments and giving us statutes is that as we would keep them, things will be well with us and with our children forever. Speaking about eternity there. I love that. That's his motive for what some of us might, might say, oh, he just, he's just got a, his thumb on us, you know, he just wants to control us and blah, blah, whatever. And it's like, well, no, he wants to bless us. He wants us to live blessed lives. He, he wants things to go well for us. So he gives us direction. You know, as, as we come to understand who the Lord is, and what he is like, his nature, his character. Um, in all of his goodness, grace, and mercy, in his kindness toward us, in his righteousness and in his holiness, uh, being just, um, and so many other things, and his sovereignty. You know, he works in our lives in such a way to bring us good. According to your word, we see David writing. You know, God is always good, isn't he? James 1.17 tells us every good gift, every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Malachi 3.6 The Lord speaks to the prophet, For I am the Lord, I do not change. Therefore you are not consumed O sons of Jacob. And, and in that passage, according to the, uh, the, the context and what he's saying there is, you know, I don't change. And you know, guys, you're kind of lucky I don't because I could consume you right now, but I won't because I'm always merciful. Therefore, we are not consumed. Right? He's always what he always is. Whatever we know him to be in, in the life of Abraham or in the life of Moses, the life of David, in, in anyone's life, in the, in the life of the apostles, he's that way with us too. Always. He does not change. Hebrews 13.8 tells us that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and 
forever. So God does not change. And even if it doesn't feel good, even whatever is happening, whatever God is allowing and God is bringing as he's overseeing our lives in his sovereignty, wanting good for us, that even if it doesn't feel good, it is. In the sense that all things work together for good. Right? In Romans chapter 8. So, you've dealt well with your servant. I think it's important for us to acknowledge that regardless of whatever it feels like in terms of what's happening right now. Because whatever is happening right now is just temporary. But God wants to use it to accomplish his purpose in making you and me more like Jesus. That's his purpose for us. Verse 66, teach us or teach me good judgment and knowledge, for I believe your commandments. Good judgment and knowledge. Well, as as I as I looked at that, I thought, well, can God do anything but teach something good? Right? He is good. He treats us well. So whatever judgment he gives to me, if he's, te- if he's the one that's teaching it to me, then it's going to be good. Now, there might be others around us. Satan, for example, his demons. Maybe people with um, ill will toward us. Or people who have a good heart toward us but have a lack of wisdom. Something might be taught to us that isn't necessarily good. But if, if it's from him, it is. As we read from James 1, you know, that, 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 all, that every good gift comes from him, comes from above. And so, yeah, of course it's going to be good. But he says here, for I believe your commandments. Um, I believe. Do you guys believe the word of God? Do you believe the word of God is true? Always true in whatever it states? You know, King David, as he writes this, is just basically clinging to the word of God. And, and, and again, as we're going through this 119th Psalm, this, all, all these uh, um, passages in, in every stanza it speaks about the blessing of God's word to us the power of God's word, the goodness of God's word, the, the, the way that God's word does its work in us and forming us into the image of Jesus. Let's us know who God is, what his nature is. Let's us know our own need for him so that we will cry out to him uh, when in that time of need. Let's us know that he's always going to hear our prayers. He's going to respond to that need. Let's us know what he did in saving us from our sin by sending Jesus, his son, to go to that cross and bear our sin on it as the Lamb of God. The word of God brings healing to us in our soul, physically at times. So, I mean, there there is nothing that we can value any more than the word of God. We're going to see that in just a few minutes stated here in this passage. Verse 67, I want to take a look at verse 67 and verse 71 together 
because they certainly do go together. Verse 67, before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. And then verse 71, it is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I may learn your statutes. But before I was afflicted, I went astray. You know, when life is comfortable, when we have everything that we need, everything that we believe that we need, and let's face it, there are so many things that we think that we need that we don't. I'm just tripping out right now. I just realized I don't have my glasses on. <laughs> Obviously, I don't need them all that much. <laughs> That's funny. Um, I, rub, I rub my eyebrow here. My glasses on. I don't have, I'm not wearing my glasses. So I'm thinking, did I, did I leave home without my glasses? I think I did. I've been healed. <laughs> my, my, my eyesight really isn't all that bad, really. But when I go out, if I don't know where I am, I'm trying to read, read uh, uh, street signs at night, forget about it. Anyway, anyway, I'm sorry, I, I just got distracted. I just want to share. I just want to distract you too, okay? Um, now, where was I? Afflicted. When, when things are good in our lives, you know, and, and we're, we're, we are comfortable, you know, it's like we don't realize that we have need. And, and so what do we tend to do in terms of our relationship with God when we think that we have no need? Well, we tend to not cry out to him. You know, we, we tend to not seek him. And, and so that's one of the blessings of afflictions. It drives us to him. These afflictions drive us to Jesus. You know, many times we'll say, you know, that we, we might go through a very painful experience. And we might talk about how painful it was, but the reality that we grew through it. And we might say that, you know, I wouldn't wish this on anyone, but you know what? I'm thankful that I went through it because this experience caused me to grow. I would say this to that. That's not true. The experience itself does not give us growth. The experience may drive us to Jesus, and when we go to him and cling to him, pray to him, he gives us growth. For those who don't know Jesus, they don't grow through the experience because they won't go to him. And the experience will bring destruction. I mean, things that we go through as families, I mean, some families get better because of it. Other families get destroyed because of it. The death of a loved one, for example. It's Jesus. He's the one that gives the growth. He's the one that, that, that causes us to be better because of the experience. But it's not because of the experience, because we went to him. So, so really, those of us who love the Lord and those of us who go through the most difficult afflictions 
We are the ones who are really given the most grace because we are driven to Jesus and we cling to him, we, we, we pray to him, we seek him, he is there, he places his hand of grace upon us and, and we are deepened in him while others who don't go through the same kinds of afflictions don't do that. While they are saved, they're right with God, they're not deepened and deepened in the sense of knowing him better. And so, if you've, got a hard, if you've gone through a hard time in life, praise God for that, because assuming you've gone to Jesus because of it, right? That's what causes our growth. It's not the experience. It is having Jesus to help us through the experience that causes our growth, right? Let's always keep that straight. There's nothing in this world that is going to cause you to grow in the Lord. He causes the growth as we cling and as we run to him. And so let's always keep that in mind. Hebrews 5.8. We've talked about this a number of times recently. Hebrews 5 8 tells us in relation to Jesus, though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And you know, that just trips me out, you guys. I, I you know, as as when I first read that, I'm going, wait a minute. Jesus had to be taught to obey. That's trippy, huh? He learned obedience through his suffering. Now, if he learned obedience through his suffering, why would I think that I can learn obedience in an easier way? Right? Why would I think that? That's just a trippy thing. But we see that that is what happened with him. So we find that this is a means by which God causes us to learn obedience. And really, when we think about the fact that Jesus said in John 14, 15, if you love me, what? Keep my commandments. That has to do with obedience, more than obedience, really, but certainly with obedience. It's like, this tells me that through my suffering, I learned to love Jesus more by being more obedient to his commands, learning obedience. And as we see that David writes in verse 71, it is good for me that I've been afflicted that I may learn your statutes. That's good for me. As we talk about the goodness of God, one aspect of that goodness is when he pours out affliction upon us. It's a grace that he bestows upon us as, a, as an instrument of God's to bring us closer to him. That's what we want, right? And so, I mean, in, in some ways, we ought to be crying out to the Lord, Lord, bring it on. 
bring on the suffering. I want to suffer. No, we want to become more like Jesus, but if that's what he uses to bring us more to that place of Christ-likeness, guys, let's not avoid it. Let's not run from it. When God brings it, let's embrace him. When he blesses us with a time of ease and comfort, let's thank him for that. But when we're going through a time of difficulty and affliction, let's thank him for that because he's at work. That's what, that's what Willie was ta talking about this past Sunday. Yeah, I was watching. Um, James chapter 1, right? I mean, that, that, that's, that's what that's all about. In verses 2 to 4, in that passage, I thought Willie did a fine job on Wednesday also. I texted him and thanked him, thanked him for that. But, uh, yeah, in verses 2 to 4 in James 1. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience or endurance is another word that we could place there. But let patience or let endurance have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. We cannot be brought to completion spiritually apart from these trials. Knowing that, we are commanded by James, by the Holy Spirit through James, let's put it that way, to count it joy, to count it joy when we encounter various trials. It's one of those passages that we don't really like. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh, yeah, James two, James 1, 2 to 4. Oh, okay. Uh, but yeah. And I, I think that as we see these things and we talk about affliction, talk about that passage in James and, and so forth, it's like the, the Lord is wanting us to, to measure where we're at with that in the sense of what is really important to you? What's really important to me? Is having ease more important than growing in Christ, becoming more like him? Is your greatest desire to move forward in the ways and in the things of this world or move forward in the ways of Christ? Those are, the, 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 those are questions that are always before us. And the way that we respond to affliction reveals what our hearts are like. Reveals what our hearts are like. Well, verse 68, you are good and do good, teach me your statutes. Again, uh, uh, talking about the, the, the goodness of God. There's a lot of attention here uh, uh, given to uh, the goodness of God. In this psalm, and in many psalms, of course, but, you know, it's 
that's a primary thing that we've got to believe, the, the, reality, the reality that, that God is good. And I go back to, again, as I've, as I've done a number of times recently, Exodus chapter 33, when, when we see Moses asking God in verse 18 of Exodus 33, please show me your glory. And then God responded in the next verse. He said, I will make all my goodness pass before you. Let's just stop there for a second. His response to show me your glory is, I'll show you my goodness. The goodness of God is his glory. That's what we see there in that passage. Because God didn't say, okay, I'll show you my glory. No, he said, okay, I'll show you my goodness. Right? I mean, that's what he said. And I think that's incredible to see this passage stated that way and God equating his goodness with his glory. And going on, he said, And I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you, which basically is his character. I'll proclaim the name of the Lord. And, and in that, just a, just a real quick thing, whenever we pray in Jesus' name, that means we are praying according to his character and his nature. That means I pray, we pray, with his love, with his compassion, with his selflessness, with his concern for others, with his self-sacrificial heart, everything else that we can say about him. That's praying in his name. I'll proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I will be gracious to whom I'll be gracious, and I'll have compassion on whom I'll have compassion. Verse 69, the proud have forged a lie against me, but I will keep your precepts with my whole heart. Their heart is as fat as grease, but I delight in your law. The proud, once again, as we saw last week, uh, as a description of the unbeliever. And as David writes of this, of, of these people who are proud, forging a lie against him, he says, but nevertheless, the contrast, they're doing that, but I'm going to keep your precepts with all of my heart, with my whole heart, not half-heartedly, not with 90% of my heart, my whole heart. That's what God wants from us. He, just, he wants all of us. He wants our hearts. So David says, I'm going to follow you with my whole heart. I am going to keep your precepts with my whole heart. Their heart, the proud, their heart is as fat as grease. How would you like the Lord to describe your heart that way? Well, why is, his, why is that description there? Here in this context, it's, it's, it's lying about people. That's a specific thing that is said about these proud, those who are proud, that they forged their lie. And, and, and the same thing that we, we saw 
uh, last week as well. Uh, th the same aspect of the proud lying against David. But by contrast to that, he says, but I delight in your law. So the idea of being as fat as grease, the heart being as fat as grease, it, it, it's the idea of being insensitive to God's word, unfeeling or calloused. Those are words that we find in other translations. Unfeeling, calloused, uh, and, and it is the idea of being insensitive to God's word, not giving it any attention. It, it doesn't make any kind of impact on their heart. And if we're going through a time of our life, perhaps, and, and I think all of us go through this from time to time, perhaps some of you are here now in this place of, of maybe reading the word of God and it's not doing anything in your heart. You know, and, and it just kind of feels like you're going through the motions. Your heart's probably a little greasy. You know, just a little insensitive to what the Word of God is designed to do to cut to the heart, you know, sharper than any two-edged sword, Right? And, and then, then us responding to it. It's just not responding to the word of God. Which means we're not responding to the Holy Spirit. We're not responding to God when he speaks to us. That's the idea of a heart that is as fat as grease. Going on. We look at verse 71 already. Verse 72. The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of coins of gold and silver. Back in the 14th verse of this psalm, he wrote, I have rejoiced in the way of your testimonies as much as in all riches. That's pretty heavy there. All riches. All the riches of the world. I mean, th think of the 10 richest people in the world and add them all together. More than that. All the riches of the world. We rejoice in his, the way of his testimony. Psalm 19.10, a familiar passage to us, uh, speaking of the value of God's word, more to be desired are they than gold, yea, much, yea than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Another passage, Proverbs 3, 13 to 15. Happy is the man who finds wisdom and the man who gains understanding. For her proceeds are better than the profits of silver and her gain than fine gold. She is more precious than rubies and all the things you may desire cannot compare with her. Guys, you've heard me share this before, and I'll say it again, and this won't be the last. You know, the Word of God, this Bible that you've got in your hands, on your lap, you, it is more valuable than any asset or all of your assets in your portfolio, whatever they, may be, they might be. They cannot add up to be as valuable as the Word of God. 
And that should lead us to ask, do I treat the word of God that way? Do I treat it that way? Do I value it that way? Do I really? Or do I just say, because that's what God says, yeah, it's more valuable than rubies. Wow. And not really giving any thought. You know, it's like we need to meditate on these things. We need to allow these things to soak in. I mean, it is, it is absolutely true. There is nothing as valuable that you own as this book. And this book getting into your heart to change you. To change you for good as we are transformed into the image of God. Let's move on. The next, next, next stanza. Yud. Looks like Yod, but it's Yud. Um, your hands have made me and fashioned me. Give me understanding that I may learn your commandments. We understand that God created us. Psalm 139, as we're going to be going through that uh, in, in sometime in the future. It's going to be a couple months, I'm sure. But uh, in thir 13 and 14, verses 13 and 14 of that psalm, For you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. We understand that we are made, we are created by God. Deuteronomy 32.6 says, Do you thus deal with the Lord, O foolish and unwise people? Is he not your father who bought you? Has he not made you and established you? And the idea is that because God has made us, and a part of that is the, the reality of, of his power and ability to do so, to make us the way that we are, body, soul, and spirit. He's made us. Will he not do more and give us understanding of himself, give, him, give, him, give us understanding of his word? Romans 8.32 says this, He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things. He made you. He created you. He saved you. He sent his son for you. What's he going to hold back from you? Well, I, I, I still don't have that car I want. Right? I mean, we can do that. He is so generous. He's so generous to, provi to provide for us our needs. I'm learning all the time. I really don't need that car. I don't need those things. I need him. I need him. And he's given himself to us. Verse 74, along with verse 79 as well. Those who fear you will be glad when they see me because I have hope in your word. Verse 79, let those who fear you turn to me, those who know you, excuse me, know, those who know your testimony. And, and here David is just writing about the blessings of fellowshipping with like-minded believers and the way that we can encourage one another. 
When I watch you living out your faith in Jesus Christ, I am blessed and encouraged. And that's a part of the way that we minister to each other. It's part of the way that we do that, you know. And, and, and that's what David is saying. Because I have hoped in your word, they will be blessed when they see me. They'll be happy. They'll be glad when they see me. It, it's a blessing to be with each other as we're walking with the Lord, uh, walking and, and, and sharing, fellowshipping with like-minded people who want to be formed into the image of God. We encourage each other. We pray for each other. We support each other. We're, we're, we're able to have real fellowship, meaningful fellowship. That's what this is talking about. As we hope in the word of God. Verse 75, I know, O Lord, that your judgments are right and that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. Here, affliction again. In faithfulness, you've afflicted me. Oh, Lord, how could you do this? Well, because I'm faithful to you. That's how, that's how I do that. That's why. I thought you loved me. I do, and I'm very faithful to answer your prayer as you have desired. At least you've stated your desire that you want to become more like my son, Jesus. So I'm helping you do that. You know what I mean? I mean, that's the faithfulness of God in our lives. And there's one of the things that in the Jewish mind, David's mind, others who, uh, especially in, in, in Bible times and many times since, and really something that many of us have um, come to, uh, even today, thousands of years later, is the idea of in, in understanding that God is sovereign in control of all things, that means that all things pass through his hands that come to our lives. Everything. You know, Satan had to go to God to get permission to deal with Job. Satan has spoken to Jesus about sifting Peter like wheat. He, does, he has to do the same for us. Now, it may come directly from Satan, but it comes with God's permission because what Satan wants to use as a, as, as a uh, um, temptation to cause us to fall, Jesus wants to use as a test to cause us to grow. It's interesting, in the New Testament, the same word translated as temptation is also translated as test, the same Greek word. And depending on the context is how it's translated. Zephaniah 3.5 says, The Lord is righteous in her midst, speaking of Israel, in her midst, in Israel's midst. He will do no unrighteousness. Every morning he brings his justice to light. He never fails, but the unjust knows no shame. God is always righteous. When we, when we say that God is not fair, that's not true. Life is not fair, and yet, God is just all the time but because he loves you and me so much, he doesn't treat us fairly. 
in the sense that he gave his son to take our sin, to die in our place, that we might have that sin taken away from us and given his robe of righteousness so that we can stand before him. It is his grace, his work, his mercy, not ours. That's not fair in the sense of what we deem as fairness in our life. And, and it, it's in our nature to want fairness and equity. That's just not fair. I think things should be fair. Well, if I want things to be fair, then I, I, have, I can't help the fact that I am doomed to eternity in hell because of my sinfulness. Right? We want to earn our way, but we can't. We can't. It's a work that God does for us. Verse 76 and 77, Let I pray your merciful kindness be for my comfort according to your word to your servants. According to your word again. That's a phrase that we find often in this 119th Psalm, according to your word. And God always acts according to his word. Always. According to the, to, to the way that the word describes him. According to specific promises that perhaps he's made to us. But he always does. And he's always faithful. Let your tender mercies come to me that I may live for your law is my delight. God has told us that his mercies endure forever. So Lord, out of the vast the, the, the vastness of the supply of your mercies that you have, pour them out on me. They endure forever. And remember Psalm 103:11, for as high for, for as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward those who fear him. Remember that? As we talked about that, trying to put some kind of number on that. We came up with the, with the heavens, the furthest point that we know of, as of a couple years ago, is 33.6 billion light years away. Now tell me you understand that number we also don't understand the vastness of God's mercy. His mercy is so great. That's incredible. That's incredible. Now, I don't believe that we should demand mercy. But I think we can tell God, Lord, you've promised this to me and you are faithful. Pour out your mercy upon me. Right? We can do that. Moses did that. You can't do that, God. If they'll think you're something that you're not if you do that. That's basically the, the way that Moses responded to him. Verse 78, let the proud be ashamed, for they treated me wrongfully with falsehood, but I will meditate on your precepts. Back in verse 69 in the last stanza, we, 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 we see uh, 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 the same thing about the proud what they had done, telling lies. Now he's asking the Lord to um, bring shame upon those proud who had 
been telling lies about him. And he also commits to meditate on the word of God. In Philippians 4, 8, and 9, we see these words. Finally, brethren, as Paul writes to the church in Philippi, and, of course, the Holy Spirit speaks to us. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue and if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things the things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. All these things that we're to meditate on, just truths of God. Whatever is true, noble, just, pure, lovely, of good report, anything of virtue. Meditate on those things. Don't meditate on how angry you are with, with one of your relatives. How angry you are at your boss at work. How unfair it was that this happened. Meditate on this. Meditate on this. And by the way, this is in that same passage where we see Philippians 4, 6, and 9, 6 and 7, which deals with be anxious for nothing. Fits right along with this. Being meditating on those negative things. If you want to be anxious, go ahead and do that. Meditate on those things. If you want peace, meditate on these things of God. And finally, verse 80. Let my heart be blameless regarding your statutes that I may not be ashamed. Uh, in, in the context of speaking about the proud or writing about the proud, who are, you know, Lord, let them be ashamed. Bring them to shame for what they're doing. But bring no shame on me and help me to live my life in such a way that shame will not come. Yeah, that, that's his prayer. Let my heart be blameless regarding your statutes. Might I uh, be given the strength by you to be obedient to your word, that I might be regarded as blameless. And yet we see the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 3, he wanted the righteousness and the blamelessness that comes not through the obedience to the law, but through faith in Christ. Seeking to live blamelessly in a practical sense is not wrong. That's a good thing. But let's not claim that kind of blamelessness as the means by which we may enter into the kingdom of God. It's only by His grace and only by His mercy He's given us the faith to, to, to cling to that truth. He gives us a robe of righteousness. It's all about him. It's what he does. A righteousness that is by faith in Jesus Christ. And Lord, help us to, to, to understand those truths and, and, and Lord, to live accordingly. Yes, Lord, we do desire to live in such a way that 
Lord, we can't be blamed. And yet, Lord, we know that the only means by which we can be made right with you and enter into your kingdom is through, Lord Jesus, your work on that cross. What can wash away our sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And so, God, we thank you for that. I pray that you would just bless every heart that is in this room, every heart that is listening to this uh, a message on, on, on uh, Facebook Live, uh, others who might see this later, God, that we would find blessing through your word tonight and hope, the hope that comes through faith in your Son and in our Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, Jesus. Have your way now in our hearts, we pray. And we ask it all in your precious name. Amen.